Hey, and welcome back to this episode of Course Correction with me, your host, Michelle. Uh, this week, I have a really interesting conversation with a black male teacher to kind of go over some of the struggles that he experienced while trying to educate our young black folks. And his name is Nelson Hawkins, but he is going to introduce himself. And so I'm going to let him do that now. There's a lot of really cool stuff in this episode, so please don't miss it. Okay, stay tuned. All right. Uh, this is uh, I'm uh, Nelson Hawkins, Jr., geneticist and tutor with uh, Science Unlimited, uh, independent educator and uh, founder of 360 Degree Ministries. OK, so what's your zodiac sign so that I can properly stereotype you? Uh, I am a Leo, according to traditional astrology. OK, my dad was a Leo. I like talking to Leo men because it reminds me of chopping it up with my old papa. Ah, that's great. Yeah. Um, so you are a man of many talents and you are local to Houston. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. I've, well, uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit about what you do and kind of who you are. Oh, boy. Um, that is a complicated question to answer. Who is, who is, who, who am I? That, oh, boy. <laughs> um. So I guess the best way I can uh, synthesize this question and, and, and summarize this question is, is that I'm a multifaceted educator, if you will. My day job is education administration. Um, I tutor through my colleague's company, Science Unlimited. I tutor independently. I do education blogs. I do faith-based education. So regardless of the, the brand of education that I'm doing, uh, I always try to convey this concept of comprehensive education, if you will. And what comprehensive education in my mind is, is that I provide the academics, if you will, like what it is, how to, and, 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 and how does it work on an academic level. However, what I also do is, is I pr like to provide practical education, which is how does it work in the real world? Whatever I'm teaching, whether it be science, it be math, it be faith-based stuff, how does, how does this work in the real world? How can you apply this? How does it really work? And then character education, because I feel like whatever we learn, we should be using that to improve our, our, ourselves, our families, all, and, and our communities. Be, because I, I just feel like that particular aspect of, of education is it's 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 not very prominent if you will well it's, it's missing oh yeah yeah it's <laughs> definitely missing. and i mean i'll say that just as a parent you know looking at curriculum what comes home how the teachers are with me how the teachers are with the kids it's a lot of just do this work that we're, we're, we're working on. Nobody is really giving the kids life skills or the tools required to, you know, go out and be an adult. My son's 15. So I'm like, well, I guess I have to take up the mantle and do it all myself, you know, because he spends most of his time at school. Granted, he's my child. It's my job. But if he spends all those hours at school, wouldn't you think they would help a little bit? They should help a little bit. But uh, I spent uh, about six months as a traditional classroom educator and what I learned in that time, some things before that time and many things after that time, uh, that a lot of times the classroom educators' hands are tied regardless of what their intentions are. They are state, reg they're state 
uh, regulations and educational standards and that they have to teach and and, and, and the problem with with this is, and, and, and I definitely believe that there are a whole bunch of teachers out there that just don't care. But even for the ones that do, they are handcuffed to teaching standardized tests because the standardized tests are one of the primary uh, vehicles by which they are evaluated, which is also unfair. So Right. And that's how they get their money, too, right? Oh, Yeah. Uh, underperforming school gets more dollars to 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 do reform. Uh, a mutual colleague of ours is uh actually uh very, it, it, I'm not sure if she's still over there, but she um she's actually at a school that I the school that I taught at many moons ago. So let me ask you, what was it that made you kind of want to be an educator? This is a very interesting story. So I come from a science background, and uh, I was at. Uh, Baylor College of Medicine. I was in a PhD program for molecular and human genetics, and that in and of itself was a massive journey in, in, in that I was the first student from my undergrad, uh, Dillard University, that was ever recruited to Baylor College of Medicine's graduate school. Wow, and, okay. And when I got there, it was, it was tough. Um, I graduated from Dillard with honors, but I mean, when I got to graduate school, it kicked my butt pretty bad. It was, it was, it was terrible. I was not prepared. I, I had to take like two thirds of the curriculum over again. Wow. But even after I got into the lab, there were even more challenges of, of, of time management, learning techniques, being able to read papers. And it was this was kind of where my pension for education began. What I noticed was. I had I got more joy out of showing the graduate students that came behind me. Hey, you should do this. You should do that. You should do this. Look, they they said you should have a tutor. You should probably get a tutor because when they told me I I needed a tutor, I think I I didn't think I needed a tutor, and I paid for it. So I don't want you to pay for it. So you should do this. You should do that. You should get a sense of community within your within your within your workspace, if you will, within with within the graduate school and. I noticed I was, I, I noticed I had more enthusiasm, more oomph, more get up and go when there was somebody to mentor, when there was somebody to teach something to, as opposed to my own experimentation. Now, around this time, I, my actual project hit a bit of a wall, and I, I had this, 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 this journey uh, mm. uh, back in 2011 where I was pondering, what would I do if I was no longer pursuing a PhD? Like, what would I do if I was no longer pursuing a PhD? Because my actual dissertation project was probably the most stressful part of my life at the time. Mm -hmm. it, it just drained the joy out of me. And that's a whole separate discussion. Yeah. Oh, and that's a big one, too, because, oof. I mean, I know that's not where we're going, but good Lord, if you don't have any joy, how, you can't. There's no. no can. You have nothing. So what I discovered, what I discovered in, in, in this time frame was my purpose. Yeah. Now, when you discover your purpose, that doesn't mean that you have the idea of what the full measure of your purpose looks like. You just know what direction you need to head in. And mm -hmm. for the first time in my life, I wasn't just doing what was what was kind of expected from a um from a from a pragmatic standpoint like i like i i felt this inkling to go in another direction and i and i received a lot of resistance if you will even from my family oh yeah uh, 
And 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 friends of mine were distinctly concerned. What are you going to do for a paycheck? What are you going to do for a paycheck? What are you going to do for a paycheck? And to be perfectly honest, I didn't really have the answer. I was I was actually really scared, even though I I, I didn't really want to stay in grad school. I, I just didn't want to stay, but I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. So it was it was so you ended up where you are now so that's like the point of this show you know is because i had an experience in which i was like i know there's something else you know i know there's more i know that this is not it this corporate rigmarole that i have and i wanted to try to do creative consulting and just like you said it was like i knew what i was supposed to be doing but because I'm the type of person that has to know the how, it was so hard for me to kind of get on the path and just start walking. And I thought I had it. I thought and, and I eventually came up with, quote unquote, a plan. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to I'm going to take I'm going to take a master's degree. I'm going to take a master's degree. I'm just going to walk out. I'm just going to walk out of a uh, grad school, maybe get me a little stopgap job and, you know, kind of work my way into in, in into my purpose while I kind of figure out what I'm going to do. Right. Yeah, it, it, it didn't really turn out that way. But what I did manage to do was is I managed to kind of hone the skills necessary to bridge into my purpose working at my church. And let me tell you, I worked at a small church. This wasn't one of this this wasn't one of your Lakewood, your Windsor Villages, one of those churches that has day in, day out staff that are salaried, if you will. This was a small church, and I was working for Peanut Halls, if you will. Not even Peanuts, just the Halls. The Halls. <laughs> working for the Halls of the Peanuts. But let me say this right now. It was a brilliant experience for me. It was, it was eye-opening. I got, I got to interact with people. I was actually doing youth ministry at the time, so I was already interacting with young people and mm-hmm. kind of honing my skills and interacting with young people and the, and the culture that was that was out there at the time, if you will, and getting and getting acquainted with what young people were into, because I hadn't really had that much exposure directly to a youth. I was a youth in, you know, mid 90s versus the the early 20 teens that that's a whole generation that I I was missing. So I, I, I got that. But I also. Um, developed a lot of other skills. That, yeah. that were that were uh, transposable, and it was it was it was it was a great experience. But you know, I, I still needed to you know pay my bills. Yeah, and that was a and 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 this is and and, and this is how I just knew I was staying I was staying the right course because let me tell you during this time frame I missed five months rent. And my, landlord, and my landlord did not throw me out. That is a blessing, isn't it? Uh, five months rent, and the landlord did not throw me out. And, wow. and did they say why? Why? What it was that made them, yeah, like what was it that made them tell you? I always wonder that. Like, whenever you do get a blessing like that, like what's the note from the person who's delivering it? You know? Yeah. Um. The best thing I can I can I can remember from that time frame was that I was I was a good tenant. I was yeah. a good tenant. I didn't try to take advantage of him. I always want. I always tried to keep in contact with him, letting him know what was what was what was you know 
going along with you know my my dwelling, my domicile, the place where the place where I live, where you know he you know he owns a unit, and I I I I, I don't know. I guess it was I guess it was um I, I hate to use the cliche, but it was literally divine intervention that I that I that I was allowed to remain where I was right. only. Not only for the environment that I was working in for those peanut holes, but you know the environment that I was dwelling in. Now it eventually came back around that I got to work for mm -hmm. school. I got to work for the graduate school that I came from, using some of the skills that I that I had built up during my during the, the later part of my time in grad school and and. Also, the time that I spent it, the time that I spent at my church, I had meant I had built up so many different skills that I was working in the grad school kind of as a gopher. But what I was also doing, the key of what I was doing, like the central part of what I was doing was I was developing a curriculum and helping to instruct the course for young graduate students, like in their early part of their graduate study to to uh, get through that they're. Different people call it different things, qualified examination, preliminary, their candidacy examination, where if you pass that exam, they, they cut you loose to the actual science, if you will. Yeah. And, I, and I was giving them and I was giving these um, early graduate students the skills necessary to pass their exams. I was also, you know, serving as a consultant as these students actually took their exams. I think I might have helped about two or three dozen graduate students and in, in, in considering the entire time frame. But what well, that's what I was going to say is that like it sounded like when you were talking about, you know, what you wanted to do and you first started giving people directions, it just sounded like you were doing consulting for sure. But, the, but it, it also gave me like a structure on how to teach. So mm -hmm. lo and behold. My 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 boss, who my boss at the, in the graduate school, who was one of the deans at the time, she petitioned the National Institutes of Health. My um position was one hundred percent grant funded mm. to expand my part time position into a full time position, but the government said no, of course, because that you know that sounds too much like right helping underrepresented minorities get through <laughs> the the critical stage of their PhD program. That that sounds too much like right, so. Uh, my my boss told me to look for other things. Yeah, <laughs> it, her hands were tied, and that's when I found that's when I found my um alternative certification program that led to me working in an inner city high school. Okay, and so um, is that where you um do the the tutoring that you do now? No, actually, uh -huh. no, actually, I, I told you my journey is very complex. So right around the time that I that I started at my uh, graduate school position, um, doing the consulting and 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 I did a whole bunch of other things like uh, coordinating events and 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 and, and, um, and uh, web content and stuff like that. Yeah. But I found out the second day that I was on the job that my stepdad, the dad that I had known since I was like eight years old, he had stage four pancreatic cancer. Oh no! So I I'm, I I have been out of work for nine months, and right when I get a job, that it was it was a gut punch. It was yeah, a, it was a huge, devastating gut punch, and I don't know. It was it was rough. It was it was very rough. 
Um, but right around the time that I uh and and, and pancreatic cancer had you the the data's the data's everywhere. The survival rates are very low. Oh yeah, I work at MD Anderson, so I definitely know that's like one of the number one when people come in with that, they usually don't leave. You 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 might have met my stepdad at some point, possibly. Then because he was treated at MD Anderson, even though my family is originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. I started at this school mm-hmm. and it was one of the low, lower performing schools. I won't mention it on the podcast. Um, they've, they've improved in, 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 in five years, but um, it was this experience was jarring because, you know, um, smart boards are standard issue to teachers like every teacher gets promised a smart board at the start of school. Um, my first day of class, I didn't have a functioning whiteboard. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's, you're supposed to do all the icebreakers and all that kind of stuff, all the things they teach you. And, and, and now I'm just, this is a perfect segue because this, this is the perfect place for me to kind of just air my, my grievances, if you will, because the thing is, is that you know, they have all these standardized things you're supposed to do. You know, there's the Doug Lamov book, Teach Like a Champion. I'm not trying to, you know, um, condemn the, the Doug Lamov kind of mentality. But the problem is, is that the kids at schools like these, these are the ones I actually have the passion for uh, to, to, to help and to, and to uplift and, and, to, and, to, and, to, and to show them purpose, something greater than their environment, their environments don't really lend themselves to caring about school. Oh, mean, a, lot, yeah. a lot of these kids have to play proxy parent. A lot of these kids have to have to dodge gang activity. And I hate to use all the tropes and cliches and stuff like that, but a lot of these kids are just not allowed to be kids. Like kids' concerns should be doing well in school or in whether uh Susie Susie Q likes you back or whatever. But right. a lot of these kids just have it super heavy and all these stereotypical things. I mean, there was there was so much Kool Aid to drink, and there were so many rah rah speeches. And then then the school year started, and then all the, the the schools like this have lots of rookie teachers. There's a lot of high turnover, if you will. Oh, and, and the rookie teachers couldn't really they couldn't really handle the kids. Me, I couldn't handle the administrators. Oh boy. <laughs> Oh boy, just just all the mandates and the regulations and stuff like that. And I actually had a suggestion from outside the traditional education system. Hey, the stuff you did during your youth ministry, you need to take that into the classroom and contextualize it for what you're teaching. Right. I didn't listen. I tried to do it the way that they taught me in the alternative certification program. Well, the problem is the kids see that stuff all the time. They don't care about that stuff. So so you took alternative education program just to regular school because of the because of the demographic? Well, yes and no. Um, Yes, those are your yes. Those are the kids that that I want to uplift. But no, because for alternative for uh, first year teachers in alternative certification programs, they're not going to go to the top tier high schools. Because right. the, the teachers at the top tier high schools grab those positions and hold on to them for dear life. Mm-hmm. A, a, a teacher with a solidified position at a top tier high school will probably retire there. Yeah. So you're not going to get straight into a top tier high school. You have to, quote unquote, pay your dues. And and a lot of these teachers saw this as slumming it. And a lot of these teachers saw it as kind of a kind of a kind of a 
educational missionary mission. It's just like, no, no, no. These kids are people too. Just just look at just take a look at the whole child. You have to take a look at the whole child. They, they are still children. I mean, some of them are NFL sized linemen or whatever, but they're still kids. I would I wouldn't tell that to many of their faces, but they are still kids. And you still have to have you have to have an authentic compassion for them. You have to have an authentic desire to just reach the child. Because the thing is, is that go it goes back to that old trope. Nobody nobody cares that you know until they know that you care. So until the kids actually know that you care about them and what's going on in their world, they're probably not going to pay care. attention. They don't care either. Yeah. They're like, just like, I mean, I hate to like, like talk about like dangerous minds or something, but like, that's kind of the same concept. It's like, everybody was giving her shit. Oh, sorry. Um, I, I have a, a potty mouth, but everybody was giving her problems until she was like, I actually am here because I care. So like, what did you do? Like, how did you kind of get around that? Well... <laughs> for some of my classes my hands were tied because they were the ones my um administrators came into mm-hmm. and for those classes i had to do it by the book the best way i could but i took as many opportunities as i could to be relational yeah and whether i'm teaching or i'm tutoring or i'm doing whatever i'm doing I'm, i want to be relational because a lot of what i do is people oriented and if you're not relational and people-oriented businesses and people-oriented avenues and people-oriented ventures, you're going to fall on your face. And mm-hmm. the best way to be the best way to be relational is to try to relate. Now, you know, somebody like me, you know, I'm mean, when I'm not doing all the work that I do, I, I'm in the comic books and anime and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of tough for me at first to relate to inner city kids, but I took my openings where I could. Yeah. Um, just to be perfectly honest, that was I I'll never forget this one young man that, that that he used to he used to love roasting me. He used to love mm-hmm. roasting me. And then I started roasting him back <laughs> to the point where I got him so bad that every day off the bus, I had bus duty. Every day off the bus he would try to roast me. And every day off the bus I'd get him back to the point mm-hmm. where I said, you know we don't have to do this. You good to say good morning. <laughs> right. <laughs> but he remembered me. I never had him for any of my classes, but he remembered me. Well, and I think that, like, even if you're not a, someone's teacher, yes, you can still make a huge impact just by being there every day. Like, I can remember so many people, educators that were at my school, weren't my teachers. Like, one of them was a counselor. So I don't think she was my counselor, but I will never forget her because I felt like she really cared about me. Absolutely. And I'm I'm actually I'm actually coming to I'm actually coming to a very critical part of quote unquote my story now is that um, that when we we, we talk about representation, Mm -hmm. most of most of these most of these a lot of these kids at this school are African-American and and, 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 and Latino boys Mm -hmm. who don't. That the people who are quote unquote positive that they see, they can't relate to them. And the people that they can relate to aren't positive. So Mm -hmm. as a black male teaching, I recognize that when I see these 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 black and brown boys, I have to be both. Yeah, I have to be positive and I have to be relatable. So for my eighth period class, 
I, I had five chemistry classes and two integrated physics and chemistry classes, IPC. But for eighth, for eighth period, I was normally ahead of the scope and sequence. I was normally ahead of the pacing that the district set, that the state set. So um, uh, every so often, I would just suspend class and, and have and just have a mentoring session. We, we had I, I called it real talk. That's not the exact name that we gave it, but we'll, we'll, I'll let I'll let you I'll let your listenership fill in the blanks. <laughs> but a lot of practical, a lot of practical. I gave a lot of practical life lessons during those during those talks. Um, just, just to show them, look, I get it. You got this, you got that, you got this. I don't think you should make that move. I don't think you should make that move. I don't think you should make that move. But my dad died right at, during Thanksgiving of this, uh, school year. And I, I took an extra week off, you know, for the final arrangements and stuff like that. And I came back to the school and by the time I got back to the school, the kids knew, the kids knew my dad died and the kids, and the kids actually cut me some slack. They cut me some slack, and that's what showed me that all these stereotypes about these kids is just—it's just not true. They're—they're they're, they're people. Yeah, they're, they're people because yeah. just and 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 that really and and those stereotypes really grind my gears. But unfortunately, I didn't really—I didn't even make it to the end of the school year. Um, I I started to get sick, and um, and I also started to get sick of teaching in that school. But it yeah. wasn't kids. Like I said, it was the administration. The administration would consistently come to my room and give me zeros and ones. And my mentor for the, uh, I had a mentor for the program. And I had a mentor set by the district. My mentor set by the school district stopped coming. She just said, I'm not coming anymore. And the mentor that set that, that I was given from the program, I told him in September, I said, I feel like I'm set up to fail here. He didn't acknowledge me being right until Christmas. And the only advice he really had to offer was just own it. I'm like, Oh, oh my! Exactly. What what autonomy do I have to own anything? Had you taken had you taken me at my word in September, then maybe we're not having this conversation in, in around Christmas. So I eventually just decided I was going to leave. And when I when I tell you I decided I was going to leave, it was decisive. I decided I was going to quit on Tuesday, and I quit Friday. <laughs> yeah, wow. I just needed to get out. I needed to get out so bad, but. Understand that, but I felt like I, but I did feel like I failed those kids. No, you didn't. You didn't, and I, and and there's no reason why you should feel like that because honestly, even though you're not going to be able to watch them grow, and you know they won't still see you, you still touch them. You know your your um part in their experience has already been done. You know so it's never a waste and you didn't fail them just by saving yourself. Yeah. The, the expressions on some of their faces, like one of my hardest workers didn't want to do work that day. She was, mm. she was devastated that I was leaving. And the, the thing that, that really just tore me up so bad was that the, at the end of the day, the end of my last day, one of, one of my students stayed until everybody else left. And then he hugged me and he broke down in tears and told me he would miss me. I, I think I cried all the way home. <laughs> but I gave him my number and I said, just because I'm not teaching here doesn't mean I don't have your back. I said, if you need me, you contact me. I'm Facebook friends with him to this day. I got him a job in, in 2017. Wow. 
And I'm Facebook friends with at least four of the four of the other students. I, I had I had one of them over for a party once. Oh wow. So, so you're really went above and beyond that call of duty. Absolutely. I mean, for for a lot of for a lot of these kids, and I can't really I can't really call those particular young men kids per se, but they are still kind of kids, early twenties. Who knows what they're doing in their early 20s? I know I didn't. Our kids, you know, because really it's like they look like, a, just like you said, they look like adults, okay? But my son is 15 years old, and he's tall, and he's starting to look like a man, but he is so a kid. And I think, like, we actually had an episode a couple years ago um, that was titled Black Babies Are Babies Too, because that's kind of, I think, a problem is that, like, people see Black boys and they see a man instantly. And them, them and themselves, they also, they put that pressure on themselves pretty instantly from the time they're, you know, able to go outside. Why do you think that is? Um... I feel like there is a it, it's all over the place and we could talk about it in multiple contexts. But I think the issue is uh, it, it's, it's a social engineering, if you will. And it's a multi pronged social engineering. You have the mass media presenting. I mean, you have the mass media presenting these kids doing doing very adult things. And what I mean by that is that look at the student athletes. Mm -hmm. First of all, student athletism is a joke, especially in uh, college basketball. They have the one and done rule, but up until about maybe 15 years ago, if you were talented enough, you could go to you can go to the NBA and make millions of dollars as an 18 year old. Yeah, I mean, but you're still 18. Mm -hmm. Like, like that's still you're legal, but you're not grown. But the but we 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 still look at these because because I think that's part of the problem. There's there's this there's this perception, if you will, of 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 young black boys, maybe twelve and twelve and up, be, because they because they because some of them may look older, if you will. We look at we look at them like we look at the at the larger than life uh, student athletes, uh, particularly the collegiate ones, because a lot of the collegiate ones they they look like adults even though they're still they're still kids. But even deeper than that. What we have a lot of times is that uh, you could really just break it down to the family unit. Mm-hmm. Right. And oh boy, uh, yeah. Let's let's crack open Pandora's box real quick. Let's just let's just crack it open. Uh. So the 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 family dynamic, particularly in the African American community, is so it's 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 damaged, if you will. There there are so few fathers and mothers playing the actual role of fathers and mothers that right. so many oldest siblings are playing proxy parents if you will yeah and, and it's not it's, it, it sometimes it's not even just the you know the a lot of times you see it proxy parents to the kids that are just two and three years younger than them but a lot of times you also see it in the eldest is maybe 10 years older than the next older sibling. I mean, it, it's uh, and they're playing proxy parent. So a lot of times they have to show extra responsibility, not just from the perception that they have out in the world, 
But when they even get home, which is supposed to be a safe space, they have to take on extra responsibility. So it could be just the general general look of 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 a of of a kid. But I mean, I mean, if we want to just go back to the 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 the, the, the surface level stuff, the surface level stuff is definitely mass media depiction. It's definitely mass media depiction, and I mean, it's not just the mass media depiction. It's the state itself. Because there's so many regulations, not just in education, but there's so many regulations in so many different arenas that the only conclusion that I can make is, is that the state wants our children. I mean, well, that, that is true. That is true. I agree with that. But I'll say this to your other point. Um, as a single mom, my son, who is 15, my daughter's six, even though that's not my expectation of him. Like, if I say, okay, I'm going to the store, I'll be right back. Yeah, I expect her not to die while I'm gone. But I don't expect him to parent, but he automatically goes to, like, that place. And it bothers me because I'm like, I'm the mom, you know, and I've always been. So you don't have to kind of go there. But it's like, it's so weird. It's like a natural inclination to him, I guess, just because I don't have a husband here. You think maybe it's just because I don't have a husband? I couldn't say for sure without watching the interaction myself, but um, I just just in uh, base, you know, social social engineering. Um, a lot of times, you 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 will see it, it is not just it's not just with eldest sons. A lot of times, it's with eldest daughters. Sometimes that they have that, that they have to step into this this they, they they step into like a head of household kind of role in the sense of they support the matriarch of the house. They're supporting the matriarch of the house. I mean, my own mother is widowed, and even though we don't live together, I often have to support her emotionally and with and with various different things and kind of, oh, well, this is broken. I need this. I need that. I need it. And that that's all. It's it's fine. I, I'm an adult. I can. I, it's whatever. But just going back to to answer your question even more directly. Um, I feel like there's a there's a mindset out there for a lot of kids, even if the even if that the, the matriarch of that household, the single mother, isn't mandating it sometimes, that eldest child wants to help because that's love. And mm-hmm. in, in, a, in, a, in a household like that, I'm not necessarily I'm not necessarily going kind of kind of denigrate that denigrate that kind of thing because you have to do what makes the household you have to do what makes the household move forward if you will you have to do what makes the household move forward i would say for for young boys like that just make sure that there's some positive male role model somewhere uh because i'm i'm of the belief that there's no substitution for functional masculinity and functional femininity if you will a lot of our children are being damaged by their fathers and or their mothers for various reasons, and a lot of times, and I know it's not in your case, but a lot of times in, in a single parent household, the single parent actually just has that expectation that my eldest child is just going to take care of me. And sometimes okay. I'm like, please hurry up and get ready and move out today. Like, not yes. to say I wouldn't take care of him, but I'm like, I, I truly believe in raising like independent people because. I feel like if you if you and I have some strange relationship where you feel like you have to care for me, 
that's going to hinder you from going to experience whatever it is that you need to experience. I don't want you to feel like you have to stay with me or that you have to make sure that I'm okay ever because, you know, this is your life. It's not mine. And to say um, something to your point about having a positive male role model, I can't say that he always has. And it's, I mean, yes, it's my fault. But then again, too, I don't always know where to find a mentor. And for a long time, um, I did that whole, um, let me find him a daddy. But then the daddies that you find suck. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, ooh, we because yeah. because because they themselves did not have positive male role models. <laughs> right, right. So it's like a vicious cycle for, oof, like the whole community. And I think that's why, like the work that you're doing, the work that I'm doing, what we're both trying to do is very important because it's going to change a whole, you know, group of people if we really can do this. And um, it's going to take people like you to continue mentorship and um, teaching. So, like, what do you have next? What is your next step? Ooh, what is my next step? So, um, my next step is kind of a uh, multi-pronged, if you will. Um, I want to expand with this, uh, with my with my outreach, with the tutoring, with uh, Science Unlimited, because Science Unlimited is a science, technology, engineering, arts, and math awareness organization in greater Houston. And they do tutoring, but they also do like outreach and awareness and they go into schools and, 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 they, and they do these kinds of pop-up classrooms and stuff like that. So I want to get involved more in that aspect and get more involved in the curriculum aspect that they're uh, do projects on the horizon that I'm working with uh, the, the, the director, uh, Dr. Lakeisha Batts on. And I want to build my own education brand as well as an independent education ed educator because I, I do all my Houston-based work with Science Unlimited, but I also do independent work outside of the Houston area uh, uh, virtually. So I, wanna, I want to build my own brand. I eventually want to open up my own school where I, talk, where I, where I, teach, uh, where I teach this comprehensive education kind of piece using uh using a stem centric curriculum as as, as well and um I, I even want to open up a, a counseling center because uh the adults are going to need something to do while the kids are in school and yeah everybody has issues and i want to yeah. open up and i want to open up this place that comprehensively uplifts and educates so that everybody who has an issue or a shortfall can find somebody that can help them overcome that issue or shortfall that's that's kind of what I'm that's kind of what I'm looking for right now to, to kind of expand and do. And I have multiple avenues by which I'm trying to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. It's so weird. Like everybody I'm kind of meeting right now and including myself is like, we need a school. We need a school. We need a school. So like we can't not have one. Like one of us is going to make it. We 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 need a school that obviously it's going to have to be at least somewhat complicit with the state. Otherwise, it won't be yeah. allowed to open. But Beyond the the basic complicity, I I feel like the 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 sandbox is open for us to 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 to, to produce a school that authentically empowers young people to get out there and be that example. A wise man once told me, "Be the change you want to see." Right, and, right, right. And we need to gird up our young people to be that change that they want to see. Because these young people want to see that change. They want to see these examples. They they want people to invest in them, even if 
they walk around with an attitude like leave me alone. I don't want I don't want to deal with you. Everybody want everybody wants to be invested in regardless yeah. of how much they try to hide it. I mean, that's a, a human thing like you need that, you know. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's it, it, that that brand of investment is the, is the best way to show love in action. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is what I'm interested in. Oh, well, let me help you move that forward. Oh, yeah. well, I need this. Let me help you move that forward. And and the more people we have that are capable of doing that, the less the the, the less burdens, less taxation, if you will, the the less pressure will be on the on the few little remnants that are doing it now. So we definitely have to not only build the school, but as we as as we build these educational centers, as we build these as we build these uh companies as we build let, let's just be honest let's, if, as we build these ministries yeah we have to also can turn over what we know to the next people that's got to do it because yeah. nobody nobody's gonna be here forever so the more people who know how to do it the more physical and spiritual generations that can take care of these kinds of things that can steward over these kind of things the better the, the, the better off it will be if you will, that the people are prepared to be able to use their skills to help improve uh, families and communities. You know, and I think that's probably one of the things that has held us back as a people, Black people, is the inability to release information or to trust each other. Um, Even in collaboration, it's like, well, if I tell you that, you might go do it, or we might do it together, like we said. You know what I mean? It's kind of like we don't trust each other. So then, like you're saying, we need to be passing down information. A lot of people don't want to talk about what they know because they're afraid that, you know, other people are going to uh, usurp their um, position and just really stuff that doesn't matter. You know, like if we could look at each other and ourselves as what we are, as these um you know, spiritual beings here to do the work of the creator instead of just looking at ourselves in our ego space, in our human form. Uh, absolutely. And they're the people who try to be super proprietary with their information, but they're also people who just genuinely don't know how to disciple or they just don't do it effectively. To put this in perspective, Dr. King, even with Martin Luther King, with his somewhat dichotomous legacy, that's a different discussion. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of the people in his immediate circle was Jesse Jackson, who trusts yeah. Jesse Jackson to lead something? Oh my goodness! Right, <laughs> right. But I mean, and you got to look at—that's not the Jesse that we know. You know, like what went through? What did he go through that made him this person that we're like? I wouldn't give him two and a half cents. True. Um, I, I also just kind of feel like if you are effectively disciple, if you are mm. effectively disciple. One of the things that you have to be defect, effectively discipled in doing is overcoming hardship. And that is, yeah. a, that is a deep hardship to overcome the loss of your mentor. Yeah. But, but that's, that's part of it. Yeah. And when you say it like that, though, Nelson, it's like also like, was he really learning? <laughs> this is also true. I mean, because he's nothing like that, not from what I can see. I mean, of course, I don't know them personally, but like even in just like reading energy, like 
that doesn't seem like it's on the same way. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people can can be mentored and, and then they just decide they want to do something else. I mean, that's why we have free will, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so let me ask you this. Yes. And then you can tell me where everybody can find you and whatever else you want to say um, as far as your platform. But I did want to ask you, what's the best way for you to find your joy? Like, let's say you're having a not a good day and you need to find it. What do you do? Ooh, I feel like this answer, this, I can answer this question in multiple contexts. But <laughs> what I would say yeah. is, I would say, first of all, you, you have to do work-life balance. You can't mm-hmm. be so, you can't, first of all, you just can't be so bogged down in the work of life that you're not enjoying life. But more fundamentally than that, I would say, um be conscientious about discovering and immersing yourself in purpose. One thing I've always said is that purpose is what will keep you going when paychecks aren't coming in. Yeah. So the, the, so I guess the short answer to your question would be immerse yourself in your purpose. If you're mm-hmm. having a bad day, do something to immerse yourself in purpose. It doesn't have to be the super takeover thing that's going to launch all your businesses and stuff like <laughs> that, but make a list. Just make yeah. a list. Just make a list of your just make a list of your goals and be like, this is where I'm headed. This is where I'm headed. Today's a rough day, but it's not going to matter in the grand scheme of things because this is where I'm headed. When I get here, I'm gonna look back at today and I'm going to smile. It would be like I got through days like today to get to where I'm supposed to go. We have to keep that perspective if we're gonna if we're gonna continue on our purpose, because it'll only take uh because it, it only takes one unchecked thought to ruin everything you've built. It only takes Man. one unchecked thought. And then you have to start over. Ooh-wee. Or, or, or sometimes that one unchecked thought is so bad, you are not allowed to step to start over. You're not even yeah. allowed. So, yeah. So, um, where, where, so, so where can you find the work that I do? <laughs> There's multiple different platforms for you to find the work that, 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 that I do. Uh, first, definitely check out uh, Science Unlimited. It's uh, scienceunlimitedllc.com for all of your uh, science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics needs. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a part of a great team over there. That we, we, we do amazing things for outreach in the community, not just, uh, not just the tutoring stuff, but if you do need tutoring, just come see us. Um, uh, you, can, you can reach me for the, the things that I talk about uh, every, every week. I have a YouTube channel, and I also have a uh, Facebook fan page. It's a 360-degree ministry. So you do the Facebook.com piece, forward slash 360-DEG ministries, all one word. And it's the same thing for YouTube. You can just run a search, and you find the channel, 360-DEG ministries. And I... And yeah, we, we I talk about the Bible a lot over there, but I talk about the Bible in kind of a practical context, if you will. I always try to take the the super spiritual con the super spiritual concepts and whatnot, but I break them down practically so that we can be relational in our theology. Because I feel like if you're going to be an authentic Christian, you have to be authoritative, knowing the scriptures, but you also have to be relational, and you have to and you have to engage the person. You have to engage the person for whatever they're dealing with at the time, because otherwise you just you just one of those Westboro Baptist Church Bible thumpers and nobody has time for them. Nobody, nobody at all. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think 
I think that's one of the things that turns people away from the church is that some folks are not giving them the information in a way that they can digest it. Um, and then also, I think as long as you are the type of teacher who's like, you know, it's okay for you to develop your relationship in the way that you feel comfortable. Because a lot of people feel like, you know, they can't worship freely in those kinds of um, environments. And I think you're like the type of person that would allow somebody to feel comfortable in expressing that, you know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, the Bible does have certain universal standards, if you will. But, you know, if, if you if you if, if you're a woman and you show up to church in a T-shirt and some jeans, if you're ready to if you're ready to worship, let's go worship. I'm not going to get upset with you if you're not wearing no dress. Mm-hmm. Because different denominations have that doctrine. And, and for those of for those of you in the listenership that have that doctrine, I'm not necessarily trying to condemn you either. But I feel like we should take anybody who's re- who's ready to embrace the things, the things of Scripture, the things of God. We should take that person and show them what that looks like and not try. We should find more reasons to include people in that as opposed to exclude them. Now, right. you, you still have to bump into this biblical standard at some point. But if, you re- if you're ready to take a look at this biblical standard, we should give people the opportunity to look at that biblical standard because nobody can embrace the biblical standard if they are denied the biblical standard based on stereotypes and preconceived ideas and pragmatism. Yeah, right. I mean, it's hard for you to say we're going to accept you. And, you know, we, we take everybody and then you show up and you don't have the right color shoes on and get turned away. It kind of turns you off to it. And you're like, well, you said everybody and I showed up here and you're telling me no. Yeah, I get it. Who, whoever you are, just just come on through. Now, the, the what's actually taught might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but rest assured, I've been at this for a couple of years. And every so often I get some information that makes me feel uncomfortable. But the grand, the grand, the, 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 the long and short of it is, is come on in. The water is fine. Okay. <laughs> and I'll say this um, about being uncomfortable. That's where the growing is. Yeah. So if, if it's uncomfortable, then it's probably something that you need to, to take away from it. And even if you don't decide, okay, well, I am, you know, a Christian now, the message, you can still receive it. And 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 I would give a charge to all of you who are in the in the. I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna get a little bit churchy as we close out. Forgive me, it, forgive me, listenership. But let me say this for those You're of fine. you who are those of you who are in the fellowship of the body of Christ. If you don't have love, your knowledge means nothing. Our, our motto over at 360 Degree Ministries is is where the love of Christ must come full circle, and I believe in that wholeheartedly. That whatever knowledge you have, if you don't start with love, your ministry is worthless. So for those of you out there that are trying to that are trying to relate to somebody or develop a ministry or whatnot, make sure that whatever you're doing, whatever ministry you're doing, whatever whatever outreach you're trying to do, make sure it starts with love, because if it don't start with love, it's not going to work. All right. So that was this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you received that message that we got there at the end. Um If you guys are interested in vending at the Last Chance Holiday Market, that is coming up on December the 21st here in Houston. You do not want to miss this. I really want everyone to get in on the most important part of this marketing strategy. And that is going to be taking place this week, 
So if you are waiting to decide whether or not you want to bend, please send me an email at michelle at mscreativeaf.com. And as always, I will see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Bye.